everybody to Edge of the Rabbit Hole. I'm author and ghost historian Mike Ricksecker. With me as always, my co-hostess, Victoria Monday, and down in the chat room, Alina moderating the chat. We have a fantastic show coming up for you tonight. We have a couple of special guests with us, Dar- Darcy Weir, filmmaker, and also the executive director of Paradigm Research Group, Stephen Bassett. And uh, later on, we may be getting uh, Gary King along with us as well. So, uh, Darcy, Stephen, welcome to the show. Happy to have you aboard. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us, Mike and Victoria. Oh, hi. Yeah, absolutely. So, we just uh, reviewed your your new film here, uh, Crop Circle Realities, which is extremely interesting. Uh, that I don't think people, especially here in the United States, I don't think people here realize how uh, prevalent the crop circle phenomena really is. And you went into really fantastic detail with this. Uh, so you know, before we get into some of those details, what inspired this project? Well, um, I was actually working on a number of documentaries already with um, Jaime Mausan. He's a he's featured in this documentary, but I had already done a bio sort of pick on his history as a journalist. And um, he was featured in another documentary that I released recently called Volcanic UFO Mysteries. And uh, in the past, I did one called Humanoids with him. But um, he has been traveling the world, investigating different layers of the complex phenomenon that has to deal with ET, extraterrestrial uh, visitation, or the UFO phenomenon. And one of the layers is the crop circle reality. It's the fact that these messages have been laid in the fields uh, of our farmers all around the world, really. But I'd say the the vast majority of them have been recorded in the Wiltshire area in the UK, the United Kingdom. Um, They really kind of became famous in more modern history, but there's been Uh, evidence of them showing up in crops there since 1600, 1649 was the very first recorded incident. And uh, there's an interesting story about that where a farmer had an altercation with another farmer over money. And uh, this is, this can be found on, uh, you know, tablets that were printed in the early press days. Um, So, I've always been interested in the crop circle phenomenon and yes, there are men, men or men have made crop circles, but in this documentary, we wanted to dispel the myth that all crop circles were made by hoaxers. Um, That's the problem. Uh, It's it's been pushed by many mainstream media sources like National Geographic, Discovery Channel and such that um, crop circles were just made by man. There's nothing to see here. This is just a uh, elaborate hoax. Uh, It's a, a nice design to look at, but there's nothing else to know. And that's actually, in my opinion, a lie. And there's many other experts around the world that have been investigating this for years. Gary King, 
being one of them for over 25 years. And he has walked into anywhere between 900 and 1,000 crop circles as they've been you know, laid throughout the years. Um, many of these crop circles show evidence that they were not created by a board, a wood board and rope. They seem to be created by some kind of technology that allows the plant to lay down and continue to grow. It doesn't kill the plant, doesn't kill the, the, form, the formations that are made by us do kill the plant. It's a very crude way of doing it. It, it breaks the stock. So yeah, I, I wanted to also uh, tell this story and, and I, I know you guys have probably seen some of my other work, but uh, this is just the latest in the line of stories I'm telling in the overall phenomenon of are we alone in the universe? Are we being visited? And is this information being suppressed? Yeah, and it seems like there are a lot of different theories as to what's going on with this from, okay, yeah, the men with boards. And I know a couple have come forward and said, yeah, we, we did these with boards. And like you said, you can, you can tell by you know, the breakage or they're just laying down, which to me is extremely fascinating. There's also the idea of ETs, and then I've also, uh, you know, heard the idea of electromagnetism from the Earth uh, generating these crop circles. So, uh, what do you think the case truly is? I think that there's evidence of UFO involvement with many of these crop circle formations. Um, Gary King himself has been has bear witness to a famous event called 777. Uh, it was a lucky night, I guess, but uh, you know, it happened July 7th, 2007. He was camping out in a famous uh, area, a hill that um, overlooks a farm, uh, you know, field that has bare many different crop circles over the years. And that night they were up pretty late um, and there were there were no other people down in the crops. There was no lights that they could see, you know, no one working. And all of a sudden they, they saw this flash in the sky and um, they were a little bit be bewildered by that, thought maybe, oh, maybe it was just like ball lightning or something strange like that. And as the sun began to rise, um, lo and behold, there was this complex crop circle with 90 different circles in, in size and, uh, and design all connected. And they were the first to walk into it. They recorded the video and, and that's now all over online. Um, he's also as I said before, walked through many of these crop circles as they've appeared throughout the years. They, they tend to appear, you know, between April to September, sometimes August. Um, and somebody asked in a podcast the other day why that might be. And I said, well, that's when the crops grow. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, he has seen for sure um 
the handiwork of people. And I know that um, he's defended pretty fervently a video that surfaced online that was recorded by a um, crop circle enthusiast who also witnessed orbs flying around um, a formation that was being laid out as the orbs were being laid in the field. Uh, and this famous video is called Eastfield, and it happened, uh, um, I think, in 1996. And uh, it was filmed by a Australian gentleman who traveled all the way to the UK just to bear witness to crop circles. He, I don't think he expected to record a video of one being laid out right in front of him. Um, and people have tried to debunk that. There's many skeptics, even National Ge Geographic um, did a crop circle formation uh, documentary where they showed how you can create a crop circle and they, they do show people can create some pretty intricate designs, but they don't discuss the fact that that video was captured and shown the same day that it was captured. Gary has seen the original file. He was friends with people at the pub that um, Andrew Buckley uh, went and met with after he had this astounding experience. And um, National Geographic said, oh, well, it's just 3D generated imagery. It's It's graphics, you know, and back in 1996, in order to create something like that, um, uh, it would have taken a lot of money and it would have taken more than just a day, you know, uh, a few hours between when this guy recorded this video and showing up at a pub to demonstrate what he had saw on his camcorder. And um, uh, apparently, this was shown in the National Geographic documentary and it was shown it would take up to four days to produce uh, and it wasn't possible by Disney's uh, animators back in 1996 to produce that even that quickly. So that kind of debunks the theory that that video is a hoax. Um, yeah, technology was a little different back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, like, about that? okay, is sure. that the same thing as the Oliver Castle? Um, Oliver Castle, I'm sorry, it's not the Eastfield, it's Oliver Castle. Yes, okay. Um, from what I remember, he was um, actually thought he was recording the orbs, is that correct? And it was at night, and he didn't see the crop circles until later. It was actually at dusk, okay. So he, Just, yes, yeah. he was recording the orbs, but he didn't realize the crop circle had been laid out till after okay yeah. I, the video looks so bright i'm like well did he kick up the gain or something or is no, it just the, an area that he could see it in or? it was the sun had just started going up so there was enough light to record the orbs and the crop circle formation going down but you got to keep in mind with the type of camera he was recording uh it's like a mini <laughs> mini dv miniature yeah. digital video was the old camcorder style the and they had these camera. little little tapes yeah. about this big and a screen about this big to view what you would just to play back and, and review what you had just recorded. And on that little screen, mm -hmm. it's you're pretty hard pressed to 
see these video, the, these, sorry, orbs in motion, which would have just showed up as little white lights. Right. Um, but then to also see the crop being laid out was equally frustrating. But he eventually did realize what he had caught um, once he got into a darker setting, because as the sun comes up, it just bleaches out your screen. I'm sure people mm -hmm. um, have witnessed that too with their phone when they're trying to see a text or something during a, a broad daylight. So were those crop circles made? Um... Well, okay, I got a couple of questions now. <laughs> um, are they always in wheat fields and the wheat just bends over? Is it because it's electromagnetic or, or could it be like in a, a field of flowers or something? It, it has been found in fields of flowers. Uh, in the documentary, we actually show uh, a canola field and oh. canola, it is essentially flowers, stalks, oh, okay. stalks that are pretty thick too. They're about that round instead of um, like a wheat field where the, the hay is thin, right? Right. So it's many different crops um, have, you know, canola, corn fields, um, and, and wheat, of course. So uh, I know, that, sorry? sorry, is that how it bends over? It's because of the electromagnetic um, energy or is it radiation? Or? So yes, there's been uh, a pretty famous scientist that decided to tackle this WC Levengood. He wrote a book about this and he studied the crops that had these, um, what seemed to be the nodes of the, the wheat had ex sort of like exploded and then it had bent at the nodes, but the crop was still growing. It wasn't dead, right? And what they noticed was steam was released with that little explosion. And the crop had also sucked sort of um, micro bits of metal from the soil into the stock because it was such a sort of furious sudden reaction that, that this happened. Mm -hmm. And when they noticed that, um, they deduced electromagnetism would create that suction would create um, minerals in the soil to come into the stock. Mm -hmm. And um, that's how they think that it's, it's must be some kind of electromagnetic or microwave radiation that's being released onto the field that starts to lay out the design. Now, what happens after, I mean, is once it down, it's down, is it down or do they eventually come back up? And if you were to harvest the seeds, and replant it the next year, would would it be different? So they've noticed that the, okay, so in the documentary we show Gary actually analyzing one of the, a, a bunch of crop circles as they've been laid out. He walks in and you can see that the uh, wheat actually is almost like woven together mm -hmm. and it stays down. It, it's laid in such a way that one layer goes on top of the other and they all keep each other down as if it, as if it's like a domino effect, like, right. it's like, like that yeah. at the same time, you know, and if you had just uh, a plank of wood and a rope, you're not going to have that intricate effect. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, they, so that makes them not stand up. 
Okay. That makes it so that they stay down. Um, and then your question about the seeds, seeds have been found to be slightly mutated. Okay. So they're a little bit defective. Um, they, they can still yield crops, but they sometimes are smaller than the crop that has not been exposed to the same effect. So to, it's not like a super crop or anything. Or <laughs> it's not a super crop. They're not giving us. They're not giving <laughs> us those good GMO seeds. One could hope. Ah, okay. too bad. <laughs> uh, so real quick, we did have a. Oh, and I missed it up here. We did have a five dollar super chat from Tom McNicholas. So we do want to thank Tom. He was at work and just want to say hello. So thank you very Aww. much, Tom, for the super chat and for joining us from work. Thanks, so, Tom. Um, it's nice to have a job that you could do that. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, that I've seen those types of the, those types of orbs because you include a clip within the, the documentary of those orbs, which I find fascinating because I have seen orbs like that before, just not over a field like that it was actually along the water. So I find that uh, interesting. But going back to the flash of light, and I hope uh, Gary joins us here. Uh, in, in any minute now, so actually. Any minute? He, okay, yeah, great. Yeah, he's joining. Oh, just there now. he is. There he is. Um, so maybe <laughs> I'll hit him with this question right right at the start. Welcome, Gary. Hey, Gary. <laughs> oh, he needs the oh. headphones. All right. Oh. <laughs> Don't worry. It's all coming together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, the, the flash to me, because, you know, watching watching the documentary. Watching see, the documentary. You see? Yeah. Uh, I think we have a little feedback there on Gary's end. Maybe when he plugs the headphones in. Yeah, you've got feedback now. I've just put a speaker on, that's all. Okay. Yeah, there was a Is little that... feedback there for a moment. I'm not hearing it now, so I think we're good. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Sorry, um, I'm late, everybody. I was giving oh, the wrong. All right. <clears throat> not a problem. We appreciate you joining us. So Gary, I was actually just about to to ask a question <laughs> about <laughs> about timing. Uh, seven, seven, the, seven. The seven 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 incident. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, and you're, you know, basically you're there at this, uh, you know, it's a blank field, right? It's, it's just crops growing out there. Uh, you had a really nice vantage point, which is wonderful. Uh, but then there's this flash and when you're able to see the, uh, crops there a little bit later, then there's this, you know, design that that's been, uh, impressed into there. And so my question, because we have been talking about this for a little while about the phenomena, uh, what do what do you guys believe happened during that flash? If this is something that's ET, you know, was there during that flash some sort of you know craft that came in, or was this something interdimensional, or was just a burst of energy that was just that just erupted right there? Um, well, the flash when the flash occurred, uh, it was about three twenty a.m. in the morning, which is which is about the darkest uh, point of the evening. Um, and <clears throat> we were in deep conversation at that time. We were, we were having a really cosmic conversation because the guy who'd set the cameras up was a kind of scientist and I was sort of coming at things from a metaphysical point of view. And so the flash happened and we, we noticed it and, and, and wondered what it was, but then quickly moved on to carried on with our conversation for another 15 or 20 minutes. And then, um, the guy got up and decided to look through the camera and we still couldn't see the field. Um, and that's when we saw the crop circle for the first time through the lens of the camera. We, we still couldn't see it with our eyes. Um, 
as regards to the flash and what we think it is, of course, it's just speculation, but we, we sent some of the crop off to WC Levengood in Michigan. We took control samples from outside and, um, and samples from inside. And one of the things we noticed when we walked into it for the first time was that every footstep we took, we got static electricity. And his analysis kind of uh, validated that experience because he said that the crop had been hit with plasma, which is high up in the atmosphere around the planet. So we can speculate from that that an intelligence and other intelligence used something from our atmosphere, high up in our atmosphere, um, with some technology that encoded the design and blasted that down to the field to lay the crop down. That's just speculation, of course. I can't prove it, but that's kind of what we think. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. So if if these crops are being encoded, what are they telling us? Um, well, um, so some of the crop circles, there's been around 7,000 now worldwide and about three, three and a half to 4,000 in England, predominantly in Wiltshire. Um, there are some crop circles which are specific messages. They, they, they are self-contained and they have some kind of binary code that we can translate into English or, or some, other, some other means which makes it a self-contained message. And then there are the, what I call the campaign of the crop circles or the modern campaign, which began in the late 70s, which forms, in my view, a, a body of a communication and there are five categories of crop circles. So we have um, geometry, which um, is, was used as a, as, a, as a philosophical tool by the ancient Greeks to try and understand the world that we live in, uh, cosmology, and, and kind of went a long way to demonstrating that the world is intelligently designed because of the ratios and proportions that are contained within material reality. Um, then we have religious and philosophical symbols. So it's like we're, we're being shown a mirror um, of all the ways that humanity have considered um, the mystery of creation. For example, the yin yang or religious symbols such as the cross of Christ or the tree of life from the Kabbalah and so on. Um, then we have animals and insects. So in that category, we have birds and dragonflies and butterflies and so on. So. Uh, it looks like our attention is being drawn towards the natural world and perhaps how we are destroying it by uh, our activity. Um, then we have astronomy, astro astronomical symbols. So we've had crop circles which show where the planets uh, in our solar system are on the day that the crop circle appeared. Um, so, so, yeah, so we've had a few of those where, where someone would have to have very advanced astronomical knowledge to be able to work out where that where those planets were going to be at that time and then go out in a field and stamp some wheat down to to make it um and then we have completely abstract crop circles the fifth category is completely abstract we just don't know what they are they are crescents and circles and some of them are symmetrical some of them are asymmetrical but when you look up the the definite uh, dictionary definition of abstract then it talks about connection with other realities and and something which is sort of on the edges or fringes of material reality. So there could be a clue in that. Can I ask you a question real quick, um, Gary? You said you were there for um, more of a metaphysical viewpoint. 
Uh -huh. um, and a lot of the crop circles I've noticed, um, they're gorgeous, first of all, but they look like um, patterns that you would find in sacred geometry. And if your crop circle or that one was on 777, which is like a divine number, do you think there's a coincidence there or were you just in the right place at the right time? Um, well, over the years, um, these are some of the personal things that happen to you in your, in your journey. And, and they've happened to me and, and, and a bunch of other people that I've associated with. You kind of get these weird coincidences and things which, you know, make you question your reality. But there I've had no coincidences. No. <laughs> Yeah, they, they. I mean, I have to say, in, on uh, after a while, uh, it became something of a coincidental nightmare. The things that were happening were just off the charts, you know. And just how is this possible? Mm -hmm. And it happens to you, and it's very personal then. Oh yeah. And yeah. and you get the sense that I get the sense that there are these very wise teachers that 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 are kind of guiding you around in some kind of way and, and you get led to the right places at the right time and it really tangibly feels like that at the time mm -hmm. so i've had occasions where i've woke up in bed i used to live in cardiff when i first started investigating crop circles which is about 70 miles away from wiltshire and i i, I woke up one night bolt upright um just just straight up uh, at 3 a.m in the morning and i knew i had to get in my car and drive to wiltshire which i did and I walked into Eastfield, which is the same field that several years later this crop circle appeared in front of me. Mm -hmm. And that night there were two new crop circles that were in that field, which coincidentally were both 1,033 feet long, which was exactly the same length as the crop circle that appeared in front of me in the same field on 777. So that that day, um, I, I I was I'd gone back to university. I was doing a linguistics degree, and I was on my kind of summer break. And I thought, right, I'm going to take my trailer down to Wiltshire, and I'm going to I'm going to hang out and 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 you know go to every crop circle that I can. And and there was a preempt to that. What happened the day before kind of all led me towards going to that field that night. So I don't know, you know, you just. <laughs> You just feel like you've, you've been guided and you're in the right place at the right time. It's uh, Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, I hope that answers your question. Oh, yes. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so, Stephen, we have yet to hear from you. You're the executive director of the Paradigm Research Group. What's what's your take on this type of phenomenon? Well, Gary's a researcher and Darcy is a filmmaker. I'm a political activist. So what am I doing in this film? It's a legitimate question, as someone might ask. <laughs> uh, and the reason is this, um, and I've said this a number of times in interviews previously. I think the crop circle phenomena, there, there are, <clears throat> years ago, I sort of, uh, it's up on my website from 20 years ago, but I defined what I call six fields of, of this phenomena, the six areas. One is crop circles. The second is animal harvesting. The third is contact. Fourth is sighting sky, sky events. The fifth, exoarchaeology, the ancient stuff. And the sixth is exopolitics or the government's involvement in all of this. Uh, but of, of these fields, I believe the most important phenomenon exopolitically at this point is the crop circles. Why? I was convinced pretty early that extraterrestrials were doing these, these agroglyphs. I think that's been well established. Humans are doing some as well. Uh, I wish there was the effort and time and money to be able to investigate every one of these agroglyphs 
determine whether it's human or extraterrestrial and then log that in and post it. So we, we have a kind of a universal list of, okay, which ones are human, which ones are ET, but that's a lot of effort and work. We don't have that. So looking at the entire picture, there's some human gangroglyphs that are getting treated as, but that didn't matter. I look at it as a dialogue going on between the ETs and humans because the ETs are smart enough to know that if they were going to put these circles down, these agroglyphs, humans were going to try to do it as well. And so it was kind of nice, little conversation going on there. But it gets better because if you actually look at the, the fundamental history here, these things turn up in the UK and they have stayed there for decades now. They have turned up elsewhere around the world, though outside of the UK you have to be a little bit more suspect because when you go outside of the UK, you have all the time in the world to put something down somewhere and then it gets found and could be human, right? Easy to do, a lot easier to do. UK differently. They keep coming back to the same fields year after year after year. They've been doing it for decades, knowing that it's a world phenomenon. People have images of these agroglyphs on their refrigerators. There are books about them. They're, they're extremely uh, well uh, dispersed. So people started coming to the UK literally to try to catch them in the act or to just be part of the crop circle season. Thousands of people coming with every year with more sophisticated equipment, night vision, so forth, electromagnetic sensors, ultralight so they could fly over. And they just keep coming back and coming back. Well, not, not surprisingly, eventually we got some pretty strong confirmation, not just the scientific stuff that Levingood did and others, which is for those that are scientifically inclined, pretty convincing, but much more fundamental. Uh, and the simplest explanation and the simple example of this is there have been instances where people are flying over the fields. They're, they're flying over the fields in either planes or ultralights uh, looking for new circles, new agroglyphs. And they have fl they'll fly over a field uh, and then a few minutes later, they will go down and then they'll come back. And when they come back and fly over that same field, there's a multi-acre crop circle down there. Well, humans can't do that. End of story. Case closed. QED. That's it. So what's the exopolitical implications? There's, there's some kind of a message going on. There may be messages within the agroglyphs, but the fundamental act of it is a message. As you may recall, these, these agroglyphs started out pretty simple. They weren't particularly complicated. You want to go back a number of decades, but then they slowly started getting more complicated and more complicated. And you can actually see the progression, which gives the sense to people that are paying attention of something coming. This is going somewhere. It's leading somewhere. Right? And then, of course, the fact that they were going to keep doing it and getting caught clearly was going to help the disclosure process, wouldn't it? because as more people became convinced and understood that these, some of these agroglyphs were ET, that helps to confirm the ET presence, the ET hypothesis, which is helpful in terms of the disclosure effort, right? The disclosure effort is to get the governments to confirm the ET presence. More people that are convinced there's an ET presence, the more pressure the government will be under. And so it was serving that, that idea. And then it's harmless. Uh, it hurts no one. Uh, almost all of the crop is, is captured. It's, it's, it's cultivated. It's uh, harvested.
very little loss in that regard. Some irritation to the farmers in some cases, though sometimes they make a little money from it. But overall, it's a non-destructive act that they're doing, which again, very telling. They don't have to do this. They don't have to put, you know, I'm pretty sure that it's not a mandatory uh, menu item on their agenda. Uh, we know they're doing work with contactees. We know they're doing genetic, genetic work and there's some other things. But this idea that, well, we're visiting this planet, we must put agroglyphs down. No, they don't have to do that, but they do it. Again, sending a message, nonviolent, leading somewhere, beautiful, and not surprisingly, uh, there are just untold millions of images of these circles or these agroglyphs all around the world in the hands of many millions of people. An interesting way to introduce yourself, an interesting way to acclimate the public. So I see it as a profound exopolitical aspect of the ET reality, and that's why I'm in the documentary. So it's like a cosmic civil disobedience? Sort of. No, it's, it's not. They're not. They're not. You know, they're not. They're not. The, you get the crop. You get the. You get the crop back, right? Uh, so it's not civil. This. Well, yeah, yeah. They're trespassing. <laughs> this guy's farm. Okay. Trespassing, right? So you're right. Very light. But, little light. Now the the contact experiencer stuff. Yeah, some serious dis civil disobedience going on there. <laughs> so do you think this is another one of those cases where the government knows exactly what's going on? And, you know, because you're saying that, you know, they're, they're delivering messages here. Uh, is there, you know, more that we should be, you know, reading into whatever these messages may be? And, and you know, does the government know exactly what these messages are? I, I'll leave that. The researcher, I mean, obviously, it's very, very tempting to look for messages in an array of geometry like this over years. And I'm thinking if you put enough effort into it, you can find just about any message you want. There have been a couple that actually had messages. Now, I'm, I'm suspect on those, uh, uh, the famous disc and so forth. They just sort of screamed human. And, and no one has gotten back to me and said, no, we studied the, those particular ones, the ones near the, the, the uh, radio telescope, and they are human or, or extraterrestrial. No one's gotten back on that, which, again, gets back to something earlier I said. But uh, it, it's easy to do that. That's OK. If there's hidden messages there, fine. Uh, but does the government know that these agroglyphs are extraterrestrial? You bet it does. Of course it does. Uh, uh, and obviously the government can't acknowledge that. Uh, the press, still in the hypnotic trance of the embargo, uh, disgraced itself by jumping on the Doug and Dave fiasco, uh, which is will go down in the annals of journalistic history as one of the great foobahs uh, uh, of, of, of all time. I mean, really, really bad. Uh, uh, I think Doug and Dave have both passed now, but... They did have their 15 minutes, and God bless them. But the journalist, uh, uh, not good. So uh, the government knows. The governments know there's an ET presence. There probably isn't a government on the planet unless it's one of those small little ones out in the middle of the South Pacific that doesn't know there's an ET presence. This is something I invite people to keep in mind all of the time as they try to react to the, th this event, that story, and this happening, or this statement from the government. Fine, listen to it, but understand. The government that's telling you that, whatever it's telling you, has known there's an ET presence since no later than 1947. And that will tend to put it in perspective and make it a little easier to, to understand the, the mis disconnections and 
sometimes the illogic and the craziness of it all. It's not crazy once you understand and, and, and realize the governments know about the ET presence they have for a minimum of the last 74 years, and they are doing everything they can to not look too stupid while still maintaining the embargo on the confirmation. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. It, it seems it seems in recent days, uh, you know, with disclosure, you know, they're giving us little snippets, but it seems oh, they're clear. giving they, us they've big known snippets. For... There's big stuff going down, guys. Let me tell you, we're so close to disclosure, I can taste it. I'll tell you well, something. I hope, I hope, I hope all the disclosures coming soon. I've just, I've just, edited, I just edited um, um, last week's TV show that was here in Mexico on the Iranian, the C recent CIA disclosures, and the, and the Iranian um, incident where they scrambled the jets and then they they their their, their missiles wouldn't fire and then um, the the jets went missing and, and this is all in the CIA documents. They they put it out there very badly for people not to be able to access very easily. But we've had people going through them and <clears throat> there's there's treasures in there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was the I'll 1960s, a, right? Yeah. I'll give you a tip of what may be coming very soon. Little heads up. You're the first. Uh, I'll be saying this again on an interview in a little bit. I have to leave at the end of the half hour, bottom of the hour. But uh, it's come across my radar that the New York Times has got some bombshells they've been working on for some time now. And we may see them hitting the New York Times paper very soon. They, as you know, they did the articles in, in uh, December of 2017. These are huge stories, of course. And uh, they were serious stories and they vetted them. They even put a Pulitzer Prize winner on the, uh, as part of the author team, just to add the gravitas it was needed. So what then? Well, they've done a couple of light pieces since to sort of keep their toe in the water, but that's not all by any means the new york times editors knew that those stories we crossed the rubicon and that this thing now was in its final days and this is not a paper that wants to sit in the sidelines when major stories are breaking that's why they they took on the pentagon papers and daniel ellsberg the, the, the washington post got in uh for a big piece of that action because the new york times was taken to court Right now, the New York Times is the total lead. The Washington Post is still staying out of it. Why the hell they are, I don't know. I'd like to run downtown, grab the editors by the collar, and just shake them until they, 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 their brains rattle. The point is, is that the New York Times, I believe, has gone investigatory on this, which is what the press has not done for 70 years. It's part of the truth embargo. The deal was, look, cover it, write up stuff, write up sightings, write up things about this book, that book, this event. What You can write it up, but you do not send... Woodward and Bernstein down to the Pentagon to go through our trash. You don't investigate yourself. You don't go dig yourself to find stories that you can print. That way, we were able to maintain the truth embargo, but you're able to at least write up something that people are interested in all over the world. Pretty good deal. And that's exactly what they've done. But now it's changed. I believe the New York Times for the last three years has been investigating several very significant areas. They said nothing about it because they're not going to do that. And so very soon, these stories are going to drop and they're not going to be just a write-up of some event. They're going to be investigative pieces in which the New York Times is vetted and they're putting their imprimatur behind events and stories that we sort of know about, particularly in the field. 
but they may have even found out more, right? I mean, if, there's a lot of researchers in this field. None of them that I know have the resources of the New York Times, not even remotely close to that. Most of them barely have any money to live on, right? The New York Times decides to go Woodward and Bernstein. Let me tell you, th there's going to be some trees shaking. Wait for the first one. When that first New York Times investigation story drops, that's all you need to know that hearings are practically on the way. That is, they are very helpful and important to setting the stage for the hearings because it provides cover to the politicians who are taking a certain amount of risk by entertaining these hearings and bringing these military witnesses in to, uh, into, into Congress. Uh, so the New York Times will provide wonderful cover, generating a lot of, well, interest and obviously uh, some some uh, uh, confirmation. So that, that will be it. Once you see that first New York Times investigation story, you need to, I don't know, order some champagne, uh, make sure your TV <laughs> cable is paid up uh, and be ready to rock and roll because things are going to pick up speed very quickly after that. So misdirection's so over? Or I'm sorry. I'm Go sorry? Ahead, uh, misdirection's over or are they just going to give us a little tidbit or is totally there, disclosure? There has not been much misdirection for the last three years. Uh, the CIA has, is, has made available about 2 million documents in two different multiple tranches. Now, they weren't, they, they, they had been available, but with very great difficulty, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and what they did is go out of their way to make sure they were available. And on December, on January 18th, just before the inauguration of Donald Trump, they, 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 they shoved a million documents out of the archives, where if you want to see them, you got to go down to the archives. Yeah. <laughs> get a pass, go in, go through the microfish. They shoved them onto the internet, and then recently they much. gave a DVD disc to to, uh, to uh, John Greenwald, so that he could he could load those onto his Black Vault and make them searchable. Another, I don't know how many nine, another nine hundred thousand. That's not misdirection. That's basically the CIA saying we got to get some stuff out the door here because the party is going to start pretty soon, <laughs> and we don't look like the last dog you know, on the porch who wants to die for this truth embargo. So they got out there. The Navy's making moves. Uh, I'm not seeing misdirection. I am seeing that the two of the Stars Academy uh, men are very limited in, in what they can say. They're, they, they have to stay within, within the, uh, uh, the guidelines. And so it's tough. They have to be somewhat evasive at times because there's some things they just can't do uh, within the, the, the protocols in which they're operating under this very significant project. And so that tends to come across as being a little... I don't know, uh, dodgy, uh, but I get it. Others may not, but overall, no. We, we are in the last days and weeks and months of the truth embargo, folks. Uh, I've been at this for 24 years. I've seen things get good and I've seen things get bad, but nothing like this. This is the end, barring, barring something really stupid, and God knows we're capable of that. So as I've said many times, if, if the Chinese sink a couple of our carriers in the South China Sea, Disclosure is going to be put off for, for a bit until we settle that problem. Yeah. That's exciting, though. Good. I'd better be exciting. We've waited a long <laughs> time for this. Yeah. We're not getting so any. The New York Times is going to be that first domino to fall? Well, it's been a number of dominoes, but this is the, uh, what's the word? This is like a flare being set up that uh, to get your attention. Because they're going to, they, look, they could have, they could have easily, put out some investigative articles last year or between uh, since uh, after 2017. But the New York Times editors were fully aware as anybody else was that the situation in the country was a mess, a total chaotic mess. And that you could put out a piece like that, 
but it would simply get sucked up into the hurricane that was the Trump administration. Uh, it just wouldn't get the traction that you would expect. It really couldn't go anywhere. Nothing was going to happen in this country uh, other than the resolution of Donald Trump's presidency, period. I, Jesus Christ could come back. He'd have to you know, sit in the waiting room until something changed politically <laughs> before he could get, get his say. And so they, 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 they didn't do it. But now it's a different ballgame. That's why I believe it's turning up on my radar that it's getting out that these investigations have been going on, which is probably a deliberate leak, build up some interest. The Times needs subscribers still. Uh, and uh, they, they, they uh, are going to enjoy the position they're in because I don't think anybody's in a position to uh, undo it. And then the, the former New York Times editor, 40-year careerist, uh, 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 Rob Blumenthal, who was, who was on the articles that they published back in December of 17, uh, conveniently uh, held off on publishing his book about John Mack until now. And so it just came out, hmm. uh, a believer. It's, I just downloaded it on Kindle. I'm looking forward to it. So it's about John Mack. He's been working on it for years. I knew about this all the way back in 2017 when I contacted him to, to, to jump into the Clinton ET story stuff that was generated. I had a whole bunch of reporters I was dealing with, but he was a Pulitzer Prize winner, double, and I, and I, and I would have loved to have him. And he told me, because he's not working for the Times, he's retired, but he has his own thing, that he was working on a book about the subject. And that was really tying him up and he, he couldn't get involved. And I said, fine. And he told me not to tell anybody about that. And I didn't. Later, I learned it was about John Mack, but I still didn't tell anybody. And then, of course, he announced it not too long ago. This is a big deal, mm -hmm. right? And so this is coming out. Uh, and, of course, he's a two-time Pulitzer Prize winner and former major editor of the New York Times. The New York Times is just wrapped. By the way, it's already a bestseller. Okay. Oh, wow. Uh, about John Mack. <laughs> 20, 25 years after John Mack was nearly cashiered by Harvard, a, finally a biography of him is a bestseller on the New York Times, New York Times bestseller list. Are you starting to see that? Am I painting a picture for you here? Are you starting to kind of get it? So yeah. Yeah, as, that's why I'm happy tonight. I'm very happy. Did you say connect the dots, Mike? <laughs> connect yeah. the dots. Uh, that's, what, that's what the ETs do when they make those crop circles. They just connect a bunch of dots. Absolutely. Using microwave generators, of course. So in a perfect world, you know, we don't live in a perfect world, but if there was disclosure, maybe the government can finally acknowledge some of these crop circles were messages from beyond, you know? Oh, yeah. That'll happen pretty quickly. Uh, they don't need to do that early on. Uh, I mean, it doesn't need to be a part of the initial hearings. No, the, the Congress doesn't want to hear about the crop circles. But once President Biden confirms ET presence, there's no nothing stopping them confirming the crop circles or legitimately ET, in which case all of the crop circles researchers still alive, hello, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> are going to have some uh, good times. They're going to yeah. have some good times, let me tell you. Their, their, their work is going to be seriously engaged because... Uh, now the motivation for every cryptologist and every, I don't know, uh, I forget the word form in the world is going to want to know, okay, what's the message, right? Let's, we got to look at this. There's got to be messages there. Because remember, the ETs are, are not engaging us yet. They're not open contact. The government just confirmed they're here and people want to know everything about them. Well, wh what do you got? You can talk to a contactee and they'll be very popular, but also all those crop circles. And so the researchers will be very busy, and I hope they'll charge extensively. 
uh, much higher fees <laughs> for their speaking engagements, as well as some of their interviews for docs. So all good. This is free. Absolutely. This is free. Oh, hey, guys, <laughs> I have got to go. I'm so sorry. I got an inter interview right Audio. now. Make it popular. It's all right. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much, Stephen. Absolutely Bye. appreciate you coming on and sharing. All right. So uh, that was Stephen Bassett. So Paradigm Research Group, be sure to uh, check out uh, his group for sure. So we still have Darcy and Gary with us. And we have a lot of questions here from the chat room. I do want to get to some of these here in just a moment. Before we do, uh, there's one other uh, piece here that I wanted to uh, to talk about because it, it fascinated me uh, within the documentary. Uh, this Clay Hill, uh, and this mm. is a, a screen cap from the uh, from the documentary. Just the fact that uh, you know the next season planted with, if I remember correctly, was first wheat and then replanted with canola, and you could see here that the canola did not grow where uh where the impressions from the the circle had been is is this common or is is this yeah. kind of a one-off here no no this is common um i mean i haven't seen one as detailed as that as perfect as that uh, before there are ghosts we call them ghosts um <clears throat> and you'll see shadows which will last one or two sometimes even longer you know um years later after the original crop circle but I did a piece for Mexican TV a couple of weeks ago where we've had a couple of incidences where um, a crop circle has come down in the summer. And then in February, January, February, the, the landscape is completely covered with snow except for the design. Oh. Snow, snow is melted wow. where the design is. And you can see the design very clearly in, its, in all its wonder. Um, and I would just love for, you know, I mean, it seems obvious that the temperature of the soil would be higher to make that happen, but it would be great to get a bunch of scientists down there to, to give us a, a more detailed explanation. Oh, for sure. For sure. All right. Let's get to some of these questions here from the, the chat room because we only have a few minutes left in the show. Uh, this is from Sarah Falvey. Is there one area that tends to have more crop circles than others? Well, the hot spot of the crop circles is a place called Alton Barnes, um, which is in Wiltshire. Um, and as somebody that went back to university to study communication and language, I, I became very aware that um, communication is heavily reliant on context. And the context of that landscape, of that area, is that that's where farming first began on the British Isles. That's the first area of trees that got cleared and humanity transformed itself from being hunter-gatherers to um, animal and crop husbandry. And then we built the stone circles, which are also another mystery in that area, which, by the way, contain the same implicit geometry that the crop circles contain implicitly. So Is there the a correlation between the stone circles and the crop circles? Yes. Uh, I recently wrote 16 episodes for Gaia TV, and one of those episodes was dedicated to the connection between the mysteries of the old and the mysteries of the new, and that connection is geometry. There is a hidden and implicit geometry within the crop circles. You'll see a symbol, but hidden within that, within the ratios and proportions, are solutions to mathematical problems that Plato and Pythagoras and all these people were toying with. Solutions to squaring the circle, for example, which is a very deep philosophical symbol, which have never been that solved that accurately before as they have inside a crop circle. And there's wonderful work that's been done by uh, Professor Alexander Tom, 
whose predecessors, a good friend of mine, Robin Heath, who's written a number of books about the sophistication and the geometry that's contained within the stone circles in the British Isles, particularly in Wiltshire. So there is a connection. Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, this one is from, it, this has kind of been addressed uh, a little bit before, but we'll put it up here. Fungi, fungi, how long do crop circles last? Do the plants simply regrow or the circle just disappear? <laughs> um, well, they'll last until the, the crop is harvested. Um, and one of the, so I'll go back to the previous thing about the ghost as well in this answer. Because one of the reasonable, rational explanations that was given for ghost crop circles is that <clears throat> a crop, crop, the crop's laid down. People then walk inside the crop circle and they walk around and they tread the seeds from the heads of the wheat into the ground. Okay. A couple of weeks later, you'll see grass shoots, wheat, fresh wheat grass shoots sprouting because of people trampling them in the ground. Now they lay down a root net, but because it's coming towards the end of the season and the winter's coming on and the, the daylight hours are coming less, the root net, the root mat survives under the ground and then the crop goes and dies off because of the winter. The following year, the farmer comes and he injects seeds. They drill seeds into the ground now. They don't plow and do it like the old fashioned way. They're, they're these machines that drill the seeds. Now, a canola seed is much bigger than, a, than, than, than wheat seeds. That seed will be drilled beneath the root net <clears throat> mat and it won't be able to get back up. Hence, you get a ghost. Now, that sounds to me like a really good explanation that's rational and not supernatural. But when you visit crop circles, nine times out of ten, well, ten times out of ten, people walk down the narrow pathways in one line. They don't walk over every square inch of the crop circle. So to make a crop circle that's that perfect, like the Clay Hill one that you've been showing there in the pictures, doesn't add up. And then the snow crop circles that I mentioned earlier, the snow formations that just the, the, the formation is revealed again the following year because the snow won't settle on it. That adds another dimension to it. Yeah, that has to be really interesting to see with the with the snow. I, I wish I've I got found him. one with that. I can send you I can send you a, the um, I, so I translate the Spanish shows into English. So I can mm -hmm. send you the version of the YouTube thing about the snow. Oh, yeah, that'd be fantastic for sure. sure. So I think uh, this next one was more of a question for, for Steven, but I'll put it up here anyway. Maybe you guys, you might be able to answer it. Uh, from TFT Tarot for today, what aspects are the New York Times investigating uh, the crop circles? Um, as far as I know, the New York Times is not investigating crop circles. Um, I think what they're going to be doing a follow-up piece on is most likely more Air Force interaction with ufos you know the tic tac ufo the gimbal ufo videos that came out in 2017 by uh to the stars academy headed up by tom DeLong, um you know louise elizondo all those guys um they're going to be releasing probably more interviews they've done with people that haven't shown up on the history channel show i can't remember what it's called that has all those guys in it that Tom DeLong's, uh, uh, I'm, I, it'll come to me, but Major Fravor, for example, um, I think it's David Fravor. He won't be showing up 
um, in the New York Times articles. It would be other people that have been accumulated over the last few years that are pilots and other government officials, military officials that have had uh, been witness to certain information and events to do with UFOs. All right. All right. Fantastic. Well, we are getting down toward the end of the show, guys. It goes pretty quick, but uh, I want to, of course, put up the uh, Crop Circle Realities uh, cover here. So where can this be found? Yeah, um, currently it's on iTunes, Google Play, um, Verizon Fios, Cox Cable, Dish Network, uh, lots of different streaming and television or satellite on-demand services. Uh, and if people want to check out the trailer, they can just head to my website, www.ocultjourneys.com, uh, and they can check that out and click on the poster. It'll take them through to watch the film somewhere. And then, uh, you know, you've you also, also have other films out there as well. I'll, I'll put a couple yeah, of shots yeah. up there. That documentary, The Underground, about Phil Schneider and underground bases, that was the very first documentary that I ever made. It's been re-released as a director's cut. The Unwanted Sasquatch, um, the most fact-based uh, documentary told about the uh, Sasquatch history, and, or Bigfoot in other words, that was re-released as a director's cut in 2020 as well. And yeah, a bunch of other documentaries. So thanks, thanks for having me on, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. And Victoria and, and Darcy, I know you're also going to be at the uh, the Laughlin UFO Mega Conference. I'm also going to be there. So yeah, I'm going to be speaking there. Yeah, looking forward yeah, to seeing yeah, you. Likewise. Yeah, yeah, it'll be uh, great to finally meet you. So uh, and and Gary, where can uh, people find you and your work? Um, so I work in Mexico City with Jaime Mausa, and I basically edit shows and translate them from um, from Spanish into English, and then release them on YouTube, a YouTube channel, Mouse and TV. Um, I have a Facebook page called Against the Grain, which is a private group that people can join, and I release stuff and photos. I, I'm not in England anymore. I was back six weeks last year and did some drone footage and covered one crop circle for the Mexican TV <laughs> audience. Uh, but basically, I've been at this 25 years, and I'm writing. I've, I've written a book, but I'm rewriting it because <clears throat> I wasn't happy with how it turned out. So I'm hoping that by the end of this year, I'll have my 25 years of of uh, experience in the crop circles released as a book. That would be fantastic. <laughs> so, so Darcy, Darcy, Gary, think. Go oh. ahead, Victoria. <laughs> I don't well, quick, Darcy, um, um, the underground. Sure. Anything about the hollow earth in there? We discuss hollow earth theories. I think um, <laughs> it's it's not like there's a sun in the middle of the oh, yeah. earth as some people say <laughs> but more so there's caverns big uh hollowed out areas for beings or um you know military industrial complex to build bases and uh this has been spoken about in the vedas and in the um tibetan myth for you know, thousands of years. So uh, there are cultures that acknowledge the the hollow earth theory to some degree. Okay. Just we might on. have to have you on back on to talk about that because I know Victoria is very interested in in hollow earth, and I, and I'm kind of yeah. right there with you, Darcy. You know, big, large caverns, and 
you know, of course, you know, you just look at the way there was constructed with the like magma tubes and, and all of that. So for know, sure, be these large mm-hmm. places around. So we might have to have you back on to talk about that. Would love to come on. We can talk about Bigfoot. We can talk oh. about, um, yeah, underground bases, whatever you want. All right. Very cool. I'm there. So oh, well, I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, I want to thank you both very, very much for coming on this evening. Very informative, very interesting. I think we all learned a lot more about crop circles this evening. So fascinating phenomenon. We just scratched, scratched the surface, uh, yeah. you know, yeah, lots to know. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. You both nice have a good evening. Have. You Take too. Care, good night. Good night, Gary. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.